We're going to read the, from verse 9 to, to 13. We'll read the whole prayer and just point out the last one at the end. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And the verse we're focusing on today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, it's great when you start your sermon prep and almost every commentator goes, this is the hardest petition to deal with. You go, thanks, Joe. Um, but the issue that it is, is it's so, it, one of those difficult ones because there's a couple of things you've got to realize what it is saying and what it's not saying. It's one of those things we have to wrap our head around because firstly, we, we could think that this verse is saying that by, by implying that God is the one who, who shouldn't lead us into temptation, that God ultimately is the one who does lead us at the same time. It, that, that's just the implication. However, that is not true. James 1 verse 13 says, When you are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Therefore, we know that it doesn't say that because we let Scripture interpret Scripture. And therefore, we know it, it's not saying that God is the one who leads us into temptation. However, the other, the other challenge that we face is, is the root word for temptation in this verse is the same word that's often used throughout the New Testament for temptation, trial, or testing. It's the same word that can be used interchangeably. Then the challenge comes is, is if we're asking God not to lead us into temptation, not to lead us into trial and testing, then we kind of negate what James 1 verse 3 and 4 says. Because you know that your testing produces faith. Of, sorry. Because you know that testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish it, its work that you may be complete and mature, lacking in nothing. So the challenge is when we're saying, God, don't lead me into temptation, there is in a sense where we're asking God not to test us, not to help us grow in our faith, not to grow stronger, not to grow more. Ultimately, we're asking to have a faith that is immature, a faith that doesn't grow. It seems logical that if we, if we are asked to avoid all trials and all testing, if we're asked to, to not have them, ultimately we're just setting ourselves up to be comfortable where we are, comfortable where we're at. We have no desire to grow. We have no desire to, to want more. And that's, and that's not what this is, is calling us to. The third one that, that kind of comes to my mind is, is maybe Jesus was confused when he told us this. He says, you know, lead us not into temptation. But then later in John 16 verse 33, he says to his disciples and to us as, as believers that you will face many trials in this world. Kind of seems a bit weird that the guy told us not to pray for trials and then tells us we're going to face trials. It just doesn't kind of line up. But the truth is that, that we can be confident and sure that Jesus really wasn't confused when he, when he taught us to pray this petition. Because if we, if we see what he's calling us to, if we see what he's asking us to pray, he's asking us that we pray, God, keep me away from temptations. The temptation that is so rough in this world, the temptation that we don't actually have to go out and look for, it's right there. But then he carries on this petition and says, when I am tempted, the God of heaven, my Father, the most powerful one, deliver me from it. In other words, he's saying that, that there will be temptation, we will face this. It, it's, it's an inevitable. 
But when we're in it, we know that there's one that's more powerful. The key to understanding this petition is, is ultimately, as, as we spoke about in week one of this series, is we have to understand the Father's heart. We have God our Father. It's not God the judge, God the dictator, but rather God our Father. And God is our Father. He doesn't want us to see us. He doesn't want to see us suffer. He doesn't want to see us. He's not sitting there. Yeah, he doesn't want to see us fall short. He's not sitting there in heaven going, I wonder how I can make Mark slip up today. You know, let's, let's see where this is going to happen. What's he going to say in the sermon that gets his tongue tied? Or He's not sitting there going like, oh, let me see where I can make my, my followers fall short. I mean, if you think of any decent earthly father, you, your, your goal as a parent is not to see your child in pain and suffering. You know, I think any parent will go, that's, that's normal. You know, you don't want that. That's not your, your intention. And as God is our Father, that, that's not His intention to see us in, in pain and suffering. Therefore, when we understand the Father's heart in this prayer, when we understand what He's calling us to, it makes a whole bunch more sense. We've been called here not to fall into temptation. Because ultimately, the truth is, there is no sin that we commit without temptation preceding it. Temptation is the start. We tempted and then we sin. So what Jesus, what Jesus is teaching us to pray here is, is if we stay away from temptation, there's a greater chance that we're going to stay away from sin. If we stay away from, from those things, we've we, we got such a higher chance of, of enjoying this relationship with the Father, of, of having an intimate relationship that's not burdened by, by sin and, and the suffering that sin produces, that that we have this opportunity to really come before our Father, not with things in the way. So as he says, you know, lead us not into temptation, is, is keep us away from that. Because the result of staying away from that is we've got a higher chance of staying away from sin. We've got a higher chance of, of avoiding it, of not falling into sin. R.T. Kendall said it so much better than I just did. He says, we do not sin without temptation preceding it. Therefore, the best way we can avoid sin is to avoid temptation. And it seems to make logical sense, yet we struggle with it so often. If we can just stay away from it, the, the chances of sinning greatly decrease. So what is this temptation that we're talking about? What is this idea? And, and two quotes. Tim Keller says, temptation brings out the flaws that are deep within us. R.T. Kendall says, temptation is what God allows to test us yet comes immediately from within. Two quick thoughts that jump out there. One is, is God allows temptation to test us. God allows us to be tempted that we can grow in our faith, that we can grow in our maturity, that, that we, we grow in our dependence upon Him. If it wasn't for that, I think we wouldn't cry out to God as often as we do. He wants us to grow in that. But the second one, and, and the, set, the, the part of the story that I think we know so well, is, is that this temptation comes from inside. So often we blame things around us. We, we look around and you go, it's their fault. It's, it's someone else's fault. You know, they did this or they wore that or they, they wanted to do the, the dodgy business deal. But the, really, the reality is, is that temptation has been brewing inside of you. Inside your sinful nature is, is where it's come from. It's come from deep inside. It's not just the outside source that's woken it up, but rather it's, it's there already. God allows us to be tempted. God allows us to be tested. If we think of the story of Job, uh, 
You know, the evil one, Satan comes to God and says, you know, give me one to test. And God goes, well, yes, Job, he's perfect, um, upright, holy. And for 38 chapters, God, Satan's at work and Job just cries out, I will follow God. You know, that, that, is, that is steadfastness in the midst of temptation. That is steadfastness in the midst of trial. You think of Job's friends who stood by and said, just give up. Just, just throw in the towel. You know, is this really worth it? And he said, yes, it is. It's important to state, and, and this kind of needs to be the factor that goes through our mind as, as we go through the sermon is, is it important to state that, that it is not a sin to be tempted? Temptation is not sin. Ultimately, we see that Jesus was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. The sin is when we give in to the temptation. The sin is when we let the temptation overtake us and, and lead us and guide us. The temptation is not the sin, but rather our response to it is. God may test us, but, but the response that we have comes from within. We have to decide in that situation, whether it's work or at home or, or wherever we are, when, when we see something or, or, like I said, that dodgy business deal or, or whatever the situation you may be in, is, is am I going to resist? Am I going to remind myself that I am in Christ? And my goal is to look more like Christ, the one who was tempted yet did not sin. Or we can give in to what's burning so deep inside of us and, and give in to our sinful nature and, and throw in the towel. As we change thoughts quickly, the, we see that God allows us to be tempted. And, and it's important to understand this petition even more. Um, many, many authors state that, that one of the key words in this phrase, um, lead us not into temptation, is the simple word into. It sounds like a weird thing to focus on. But, but the word into can change our mind as, as how we see what's going on around us. Michael Eaton says it so well when he says, We're not praying that we won't be tempted, because we will. We are not asking not to be tested, because we will. But what we are emphasizing by asking the Lord not to lead us into temptation, is we're asking God that he will not prematurely test us. That he will not bring us into something that we can't handle. We're asking him for grace upon grace. Lord, give me what I'm ready for. Help me with the small things. Don't, don't hit me with everything at once. Just, just help me get through this. And then tomorrow I can get through something else. But, but help me with this today. We will not be tested or tempted with more than what we can handle. You know, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, No temptation has overcome you that's not common to man. So, sorry to burst your bubble, but we all face the same temptation. We all, we're all tempted by, by so many of the same things. Yet God is faithful. That's the key. We need to remember that God is faithful. And this is what he says he's faithful to. That he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. We see that uh, God will, will not be let, let us be tempted with beyond our ability. And, and sometimes I think we go, I'm only able to deal with this. But, but God knows we're able to deal with that. So sometimes the temptation we face kind of seems a bit harder than, than what we're able to deal with. And, and we go, God, you're not being faithful. But, but we are able if we understand that God is faithful. If we understand that God is with us. 
And in our temptation, he'll provide us a way out. There'll be a way to escape. And I love how the end just wraps up that we'll be able to endure. We'll be able to stand steadfast. It doesn't say he's going to take the temptation away. It doesn't say it's going to just disappear. But rather, we'll be able to endure. We'll be able to stand firm. But why is this idea of, of temptation such a big issue? Why is it something that we face? And, and Jesus carries on and explains in this verse that in the second half of the petition that we need to be delivered from the evil one. Jesus again orders this, this prayer or this petition so well. Lead us not into temptation. Help us deal with the stuff that's inside. Help us get a grip of that internally. Help us, help us just settle that, that we are in Christ. But then deliver us from the external. Deliver us from the one who's at work in this world, who, who is there to burden and, and weigh us down, who's there to, to just yeah, destroy our walk with Jesus. Deliver us from him. Just to clarify that, that we're all on the same page. When, when Jesus is talking about the evil one, it's, it's Satan, the devil, Lucifer. In the New Testament, he's known as the tempter. It's not just evil as a whole. It's not just this idea of evil, but rather Jesus says evil has a name. Evil has one that, that's at work. And in Jesus teaching us to pray, deliver us from the evil one, he first he tells us that there is evil. Secondly, that, that the... I lost my place. There we go. That he's at work. And thirdly, that um, we need help. So we can see that there is evil. 1 John 3 verse 8 says this, God sent Jesus to this world because evil exists. I don't know, but that's pretty clear. And if you need any more evidence, we don't really have to look far that evil exists. I think sometimes just our own thoughts prove it to us. By praying this petition, we acknowledge that, that evil is present. As we pray daily for, for our daily bread, as we pray for forgiveness daily, as we pray that we're not led into temptation daily, ultimately what Jesus is praying, that we are delivered from this evil one daily. That, that we don't have the strength to fight by ourselves, but rather we need our Father to fight for us. In this prayer, we're reminded that Satan is real, that Satan is at work. And I think for me, this, this kind of negates the idea that, that so many have taught in the past, that, that Satan has no power, that Satan has no authority, and therefore we don't need to speak about him, that we don't need to teach about him. We can just ignore him because, you know, Jesus won it on the cross and, and Satan's finished. I agree that, that Satan is finished and, and he's lost the battle already. But like anybody who knows, when, you, when you're playing a game and, and you, you've already lost, but, you know, the person you're playing against says you have to finish. I don't know, if, maybe it's just me, but you go down swinging. You, you start pulling out shots that you didn't think you could or, or moves that you didn't know you had. Why? Because you want to go down with a fight. You don't want to just throw in the towel. And, and this is what Satan has done. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, written after the cross, written after Jesus has already defeated sin on the cross, says this, that the devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Those words should cause us to take note that there is evil. Evil is present. We see that the devil is at work. 
He's a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Not a sleeping lion. Not one that we can go pet at the lion park. But, but one looking for, for those to devour. He wants to make us fall. He wants to slow us down in our walk. Again, this also teaches the, the reverse of, of the ignorance that we may have to Satan. Where we kind of go, oh, he's not really there. We don't need to teach about him. Understanding that he's at work does, shouldn't cause us to go look for the devil behind every bush. It shouldn't cause us to go around kicking bushes just to make sure he's not there. You know, we can get so caught up on, on the evil one. We can get so caught up on the work of, of the devil that we kind of ultimately make him more powerful than God. We, we get so caught up going, the devil must be behind us. The devil's doing this. The devil's there. The devil's here. And we never speak about God. We never understand that, that God is the one who's in all control. As, as Jesus will teach us, is, is he's, God is the one who delivers us from Satan. Therefore, he is the one who is more powerful. So let us not get preoccupied with, with this whole idea, but rather understand that, that he is at work, and that should cause us to, to take our stand in, in spiritual warfare. That we need, a, we need to fight this battle. And Ephesians 10 um, Verse 10 and verse 13 kind of give us the, the keys in, in how to do this. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his might. You know, this is our source. This is our strength. This is where it starts. Not be strong in yourself and your own ability. Don't stand firm in what you have, but rather be strong in the Lord and in his might. It's because of him that we actually can even enter this battle. It's because of him that we, we're able to stand. And then it tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put it on. It's a choice. We can ignore it and go, I'm strong enough by myself. But he's given us this armor. He's given us this, this armor to have us ready for the battle. And then it tells us that we'll be able to stand against the schemes. So it's ironic when you look at the the, the armor of God, that we're only given one weapon, the sword. Everything else is defensive. We're even given good shoes that we can run away. We're given a best bait. We're given a helmet. We're given a shield. But we're just given one sword. I mean, I think if God wanted us to fight, I mean, if it was me, I would have given you like 10 swords, just, just to make sure you were well prepared. And then in verse 13, it says, Take up the whole armor of God, and you will be able to withstand evil every day. Having done all, stand firm. The call in spiritual warfare is that we don't need to go out and look and attack, but rather we stand firm. You know, if we follow in Jesus, if, if we're making a difference, that upsets Satan, and, and he's going to come look for you. You don't need to go look for him. So then, how do we do the spiritual warfare? How do we, how do we stand firm? You know, it's easy to say, let's just stand firm, but, but how do we do it? And there's just three R's to remember. Helps, helps me remember. But firstly, we need to recognize that evil is at work. We need to ask God for discernment. We need to go, God, show me what's happening here. Again, we, we can be so caught up um, going to say that the, that the evil one is behind everything, that we kick our toe and we think, you know, Satan's out to get me. Actually, I just didn't look where the chair was. We, we can get so caught up and... And go, you know, Satan's out to get me in every little way. And we get like so preoccupied that, that that's our focus. 
but rather we need to ask God for discernment to go, show me where the evil ones at work in this. Show me where the evil ones at work in my life. The second one is we, we call to refuse. When the evil ones at work, it, it so often it starts in our mind. It doesn't start out there, but it starts, if, even if it happens out there, it, it's in our mind is, is where the issue is. We call to make the choice to refuse to think about that thought. We refuse to, to replay that argument again and again. We refuse to, to, to think about it anymore. We, we fight. And then persist in refusing, which is called resisting. We, we, res- we refuse and we refuse and we refuse and we, eventually we resist. We, ref- we refuse the, the temptation or we resist the temptation that is around us. And the promise in, in James uh, 4 verse 7 says this. Submit ourselves to God, resist the devil and he will flee. Again, we, I think we emphasize, you know, resist the devil and he will flee. But, but it starts with submit yourself to God. Get that right. When we're standing in his power and his strength, then we're able to resist. If it's just you and I, resisting sucks. We su- or we suck at it. Anyone who knows who, who's tried to diet and then someone brings chocolate cake to the office for their birthday, you kind of walk past it multiple times and you eventually you just take a small slice. You know, I'm not having the full thing. I'm just... And that's what happens. We, we can't do it in our own strength, but, but rather we need to submit ourselves to God and therefore we'll be able to resist. We don't attack. Why? Because we need help. And this is the last thought, is, is we need help. We need our Father to deliver us. We don't have the strength to do this by ourselves, regardless of how strong we think we are. But rather we cry out to one who, who is greater than us, one who is more powerful than us, one who's in control. And we say, Lord, you know, deliver me. So then how do we pray this prayer? You know, how do we say, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? There's two ways. Firstly, there's the very foolish way in which we can do it. We can pray this prayer as a challenge to God. We can demand that he does it for us. That he gives us enough grace for today that we won't be tempted. Lord, do not lead me into temptation. The issue that this challenge puts there is when we fall short, not when God fails us. When we fall short, we blame God. God, you didn't give me enough grace for today. It's your fault that, that I fell short. You know, I asked you for this and you didn't do it for me. But then we have the correct way in which we can pray this. The correct way which Jesus teaches us to pray it. Is we pray this petition understanding that we are weak. We are weak, we are weak, we are weak. We pray, God, please help me. Please, please, please. Do not let me be tempted. Help me. Help me. I'm not ready to stand firm yet. We cry out to God going, I am weak and I need you. Why is this correct? Because firstly, we recognize how weak we are. We understand where we fall short so often. But secondly, we also understand the one we're crying out to. We understand that, that God is our Father and He doesn't want to see us fall short. He doesn't want to see us suffer. 
when we demand it from him, we, we ultimately put in ourselves above God. But when we ask him, going, I am weak and I need you, we, we submit ourselves to him. However, in saying this, while, while praying, Lord, I am weak, I need you, we still have a responsibility to play. We, we still have a part to play. We don't just outsource it to God and go, God, I'm weak, you help me. But rather, we can pray this with the best heart intention, yet still walk into situations that tempt us. And something that, that popped out this week is, is Jesus in the garden that you looked at a few weeks ago with Joe when, when he was praying. He said to his disciples, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. It kind of seemed a bit odd, like oh, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean much. But when you look at it, it, it makes a whole bunch of differences. Is firstly, Jesus is saying that, that you need to watch. You need to keep your eyes open. Temptation is out there. Be on the lookout for it. And then when it's there, start praying. The danger we have, the, the situation we often find ourselves is we walk into a situation, we're in the midst of it, and we go, okay, let me pray now, and then I'll be on the watch. So, so I'll go to that situation, I'll pray, God, strengthen me, and then I'll be on the lookout for, for what's going on around me. Where Jesus tells his disciples, be on the lookout, constantly look, and then pray. It keeps our eyes open. We, we awake for, for what is going on around us. Billy Sunday, an American evangelist, used to say this. The reason so many Christians fall into sin is because they treat temptation like strawberry cheesecake and not a rattlesnake. I don't know about you, but, but snakes freak me out. I don't want to go near them. But when it comes to temptation, we, we so often want to play around the line. I work with teenagers, and, and one of the questions that, that is the age-old question you get asked as a youth pastor is, how far is too far? Regardless of the situation, they want to know how far is too far. You know, where's the line? Draw the line for me, Mark, and then I won't cross it, but I'll play as close to it as I can. And the danger is that that the closer we want to play to the line, the more chance we have of falling over it. If you want to show how strong you are, if you want to show the, the strength that you have to resist temptation, it's not about how close we can play to the line, but rather it's about how far we can stay away from the line. Potiphar, or Joseph, when Potiphar's wife came to him and, and said, hey, my, wife, my husband's not here, you're around he didn't go, okay, no, I'm not interested. Let me just finish cleaning your house. He ran. He got out of there. It wasn't, it wasn't let's play around the line, let's see where this goes. No, he, he got away. And that's for us is the challenge is, is we, if we want to play around the line, we, we're treating it like strawberry cheesecake. But the challenge is if it's a rattlesnake, we're going to keep our ground. We're going to stay away from it. So kind of as, as we wrap up today, the, the question that I, I kind of had in my heart as, as, I, as I was preparing is, and so maybe some of you have this, is, is maybe you prayed this prayer with, with earnestness. You know, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Take me out of this trial and testing that I'm in. Deliver me from evil. But you feel like your prayer has gone unanswered. You feel like you, you're still in the midst of it. Things haven't got any better. And you... You're just there, and you're going, you know, God, what are you doing? In our prayer meeting and, and in my preparation, the, the word unbelief or, 
or been discouraged just popped up so many times. And I feel like you, some of you today may be discouraged with the fact that, that you've cried out to God for help, that you've cried out that, that you'll be taken out of the situation, but you still find yourself in it. You feel like he's abandoned you, like he's let you down. That maybe he's just not been faithful to you. My response to you today is, is you ready to face it? If we said that God will not give you more than you can handle, then he knows you're ready for it. You're in the situation, not, not because of sin or not because of something you've done, but because God knows you're ready for, for what you're facing. James 1 verse 2, we read verse 3 and 4, verse 2 says this, that, that we should count it pure joy when we face trials of all kinds, because these trials produce faith and lead to maturity. The literal translation here is you need to count it pure joy when these trials fall on you. Count them joy when, when that's what you're faced with. There you were faithfully serving Jesus and, and this fell into your lap. It's not a, it's not a situation that we call to, to face unbelief or, or where is God in this, but, but rather we know that he's faithful. The call is that that we or the call for us is to remind ourselves that He is faithful, that He is the one who will carry and sustain us through this. You count it joy because it came to you. You count it joy because it's an opportunity to to produce faith, an opportunity to to grow in maturity. I love how James says, "Count it joy, not not be joyful." He's not saying when you're going through these trials, don't just put a smile on your face and skip along going, you know, this is great. Because he goes, it's a trial, it's a testing, it's going to suck. But count it joy that this is an opportunity for you to grow and mature. Count it joy that, that when you get to the other side, you won't be the same person that started this. We often live with this idea of, of this now and not yet. You know, I'm in this now and it sucks now. But what God's promise is that I will be mature when I get through. And the, the promise that, that Scripture has is, is that at the end, Jesus will come back and, and Satan will be defeated. There will be no more evil. There will be no more testing. There will be no more temptation. And that is our goal. That is what we strive for. That that we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one until you come back, until we have the opportunity to be with you for eternity. So today, as, as, we, as we wrap up, as I said, uh, I just really feel that I, I want to pray for those today who, who maybe are just struggling with, with this disbelief or unbelief or, or going, why am I in this God? I, I just want to pray that that is an opportunity to, that God will strengthen you, um, that people will come around you and, and you'll just know that, that God is working something in this. It doesn't say that it's good now, but it says that there will be good that will come out of it.